BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The first suspect arrested in connection to this week's mass shooting in Sacramento, DeAndre Martin, made his first brief appearance in court yesterday, where his case was assigned to a public defender. Martin is charged with illegal possession of a firearm, but he hasn't been charged with a crime directly connecting him to the shootings, which claimed the lives of six people. Linda Parisi is representing Martin. She spoke with reporters outside the courthouse. A felony charge is always a very serious charge. However, we just don't know if the facts and circumstances will cause the district attorney's office to file additional charges. Martin's brother, Smiley Allen Martin, has also been charged with being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm and in possession of a machine gun. The weapon, police say, is a stolen handgun found at the scene that had been modified into an automatic weapon. The Sacramento Bee reports that last year, Smiley Martin was also the subject of a plea by the Sacramento County DA's office that he not win early release from prison for earlier domestic violence and assault convictions. The board of parole hearings approved Martin's release in February of this year. Police have also announced a third arrest stemming from the shootings. Davion Dawson was allegedly seen carrying a gun after the incident. He was released after posting bail, but is expected to be charged with possessing a firearm despite being prohibited from having one. Police say at this time, Dawson is not being charged with crimes directly related to the shootings. Meanwhile, Sacramento's Mayor Daryl Steinberg is joining victim and criminal justice reform advocates to demand that the state do more to stem violence. Here's KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos. Nineteen community groups are calling on state leaders to invest $3 billion in local programs to support crime survivors and help interrupt cycles of violence. The request comes as the state enjoys a massive budget surplus and as violent crime surges. 
Denise Hollins is executive director of Californians for Safety and Justice, which supports survivors of crime and pushes for criminal justice reform. What we are hoping to do is make public safety more comprehensive and get the state off of the defense. Among their specific requests, $100 million for counties and cities to partner with community-based organizations to stop people from cycling through hospitals and jails, and more than $300 million to directly help victims. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. State senators voted yesterday to advance a gun control bill that would use the threat of lawsuits to fight the sale and manufacture of illegal firearms. KQED's Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez has more. Senate Bill 1327 would allow any California citizen to sue those who pay for, manufacture, or distribute ghost guns. That goes for illegally modified semi-automatic weapons, too, like the one police say was used in a mass shooting that killed six people in Sacramento on Sunday. Senator Robert Hertzberg is co-author of the bill. One of the guns involved in the mass shooting was a converted automatic weapon. These weapons of war don't belong on the streets. That bill is modeled after a Texas law allowing citizens to sue those who help women obtain abortions. It now heads to the Senate Public Safety Committee. For the California Report, I'm Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. And staying on the topic of firearms, Californians who live with someone who owns a handgun are more than twice as likely to die by homicide compared to their neighbors who live in gun-free homes. That's according to a study out this week from Stanford University. It looked at 18 million people over a period of 12 years. Here's David Studdard, a professor of health policy at Stanford and the study's lead author. People living with handgun owners did not experience better protection against fatal assault by strangers. Of course, this is the reason many people buy guns. We found zero evidence of protective effects there. Now, California has some of the strictest gun regulations in the country, but according to a 2019 survey, more than 4 million Californians own a firearm. And just in 2020, a million new guns were purchased and registered in the state. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Connie Conway, a former GOP leader in the state assembly, has advanced to a June runoff to fill the House seat vacated by Central Valley Republican Devin Nunes. She'll likely face Democrat Lauren Hubbard, who so far has garnered about 20% of the vote. But it's still too close to call the second spot in the runoff because mail-in and provisional ballots need to be counted. The deadline to certify the election is next Thursday. The candidates will just serve the remainder of Nunes' term, which ends in November. In Conway, 
Congress, Nunes was an ardent supporter of former President Donald Trump and left his seat in January to lead the Trump media company. The 22nd Congressional District was split apart during the state's redistricting, and the adjusted borders will be in place for both the June primaries and November election. One month ago, Governor Gavin Newsom unveiled an ambitious proposal to create mental health courts in California. These so-called care courts would be places where homeless people with severe mental health disorders could get connected to the treatment they need. But more controversially, the courts would also have the authority to force some people into care if they didn't want to go, raising concerns about abuse and civil liberties. In the weeks since the care courts proposal was announced, lots of people have weighed in with opinions, elected officials, mental health professionals, and civil rights advocates. But we wanted to talk about the idea with unhoused Californians who have grappled with mental illness. So, in LA's Skid Row neighborhood, I met Alicia, Tisha, and LL. They agreed to talk about their own struggles with mental health while living on the streets if we didn't use their full names. They had a lot to say, starting with the mental health crisis on Skid Row. How big are the mental health problems for people here? Extreme, catastrophic. It's, yeah, it is. It is the main issue out here. It is the main issue. Eighty-five percent of the people out here has a mental problem. Yeah. And I, how I, many percent? Eighty-five percent. Eighty-five percent. I can use myself as an example. One yeah. of the reasons why I'm in the situation that I'm in, I was established and I was struggling with mental health. Yeah. Went off my medicine. Things so got backed I. up with Medicare, and I wasn't able to to be stable. So. You know, there's this idea to, to start these these courts and, and, in essence, make it easier to take people off the streets if they're having mental health episodes, even if they don't want to go initially. Mm-hmm. Is that to you, as somebody who's had mental health health issues, mm-hmm. does that sound like a good idea I mean, or too per- extreme? For, for me personally, I can't speak for anyone sure, else. Of but for me, um, while I was going through what I was going through at the time, I would have loved for somebody to come yeah, and pull me up off the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they'll I, because when you're in that state and you're having a mental breakdown, you need someone else probably. to do for right. you what you can't do for yourself. Absolutely. And for people who would say, well, you know, that could threaten people's personal freedoms or civil liberties. I Any mean, thoughts there? My, or? my my personal belief, when you're in that state and, and you having a mental breakdown, you lose all your freedom and your civil liberties anyway. Because you're on the streets living like a dog, like an animal. And so you don't have any rights at that point yeah, thing, please, though. please, absolutely. I'm really wary of that kind of thing, though, because you don't want people coming through and just, you know, gathering everybody up in some sort of cattle call. People have a right to um, to their own self-determination, and I'm sorry if people are in bad positions with drugs and mental health. If you want to help people, if you want to offer them the help and really offer them good services, you'd be surprised how many people will be more than happy to jump on. It isn't that people... You have to do it with kind of a light touch. You, you have to do it with a touch where you never forget that you're dealing with a human being just like yourself. What I want to see is real programs that are effective and that, you know, are, are actually available. Half the times the programs open up, but they're all booked up and there's no way to get in. Again, that was L.L., Tisha, and Alicia in L.A. Skid Row neighborhood. Governor Newsom's plan to create mental health courts must be approved by the state legislature if it's going to become a reality. No word yet on that timeline. 
In recent years, a lot of people have become rideshare and delivery drivers to make some extra dough, but those drivers face a number of threats while on the road. A new report out today claims that the gig companies the drivers work for aren't doing enough to compensate the drivers when bad things happen to them. KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi has more. According to the advocacy group Gig Workers Rising, more than 50 rideshare and delivery drivers have been killed while on the road nationwide between 2017 and February of this year. The killings are the tip of the iceberg. That's Sherry Murphy, an organizer for the group and a contributor to the report. Thousands are getting into car accidents. They're being sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, emotionally accosted. These workers aren't afforded the important legal protections that they deserve. It's been two years since voter-approved Proposition 22 went into effect in California. The law is facing challenges in the courts, but as things stand now, California drivers who work for companies like DoorDash and Uber aren't considered employees, rather independent contractors. So consider the case of Keyshawn, who asked that we not use his last name for safety reasons. He used to work for DoorDash in San Diego. One night last August, he picked up an order from Jack in the Box and was getting ready to deliver it when he was shot in the face and crashed into a traffic signal pole, according to his aunt, Jassy Stokes, who's driven for DoorDash as well. This is gnarly. This is not something that uh, should be happening to someone that's just working. Prop 22 promised gig companies would offer contractors occupational accident insurance to cover medical expenses and lost income in the case of on-the-job injuries. In a statement, DoorDash added there's, quote, no opt-in required. Stokes says DoorDash covered Keyshawn's medical bills and gave him about $300 a week, half of what he would have made if he wasn't bedridden. DoorDash didn't cover the damage to his car, which was totaled in the accident. And according to Prop 22, they don't have to. There are still fragments of bullets still in my nephew's head. And I don't know if those things are going to affect him later. And unlike traditional workers' compensation, which would cover disability payments for the rest of Keyshawn's life, Prop 22 only requires companies to provide disability payments for two years. Professor Vina Dubal is a labor expert from UC Hastings. So for people who sustain really terrible injuries, like many people do after they are held up or get into severe accidents, after two years, there's nothing they can do. Prop 22 also allows rideshare companies to cap how much they pay for medical bills, unlike the state system, which covers all medical expenses, no matter how expensive. One of the many drawbacks of Proposition 22 is that it really took away the onus and the responsibility of large corporations to be responsible to and for their workers. Proposition 22, the most expensive ballot measure in California history, cost gig companies more than $200 million to pass. And they've gone on to push similar measures in other states. One has already passed in Washington state, and others are on the move in Massachusetts and Illinois. Meanwhile, Jassy Stokes moved from San Diego to Dubai with her fiancé and son. Even though she never suffered personal injury while driving for DoorDash, Stokes came close once. A stranger flashed a gun at her while she was completing a delivery. She says she received little support from the company at the time. After those experiences, it just made me feel like it was safer to go back to a 9-to-5 job. She's now looking for an office job. For The California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. 
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, April 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com. Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.